Joining us today is Mike Kaspar. Mike is a 40-year resident of Orange County and a California native. Mike co-hosts the radio political commentary show Weekly Signals, as well as the host of his own program, Film School. Both programs can be heard every Friday morning here on KUCI. In 1991, Mike was listening to the radio when he heard a speech that intrigued him and inspired him. The speaker was Larry Egren, who at the time was the mayor of the city of Irvine. On a whim, Mike called Agron's office, and within minutes, they were discussing Larry's newest project, a possible run for the presidency of the United States. Three weeks later, Mike was on a plane to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and the start of a 15-year career in politics. And Mike and I, a couple weeks ago here at the station at KUCI, started talking about things, and he mentioned about working with Agron on this presidency project. And I was just like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. Just such a fascinating offshoot. These things happen in politics sometimes, can be grassroots. He was back there, I think, for about four months. We'll find out more. But I just had to hear about it. And I think you guys out in our radio audience will be interested too. So welcome, Mike. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on. You're, Appreciate it. You're welcome. So just first of all, you, you're a California native. Where'd you grow up? I grew up what I call my wonder years. I spent in kind of the eastern end of the San Fernando Valley, the Tahunga, La Crescenta area. Okay. Went to high school there. Went to high school in Burbank and, and then went to Glendale College for a, a year just for the heck of it. And then decided I wanted to live closer to the beach. So in 1974, goes back a ways, I moved down here to go to Orange Coast College. From there, went to Santa Barbara, UCSB, and then back here. So I've been, since 1974, I've been able to see the, the ocean. I am a beach guy. I've, in every single place I've lived since 1974, I could look out my window and see the ocean. So it gives you some idea of my affinity for Southern California, where it comes from. It's my love of this incredible topography that we inhabit. It's an amazing place. It is. What did you major in at uh, UCSB? Uh, law and politics. Interesting. I was actually called Law and Society, and I, I thought I was going to be an attorney when I was going to UCSB. And truth be told, I ran out of money. My family didn't have any money at the time, and nor did I. So I had to leave school before I completed my courses there, but had a great experience there. Had some amazing professors there, by the way, really good at what they were teaching. And so kind of inspired me to sort of planted the seed of becoming deeper in more involved in politics. It didn't take fruition for a few years, but nonetheless, it really sparked my interest in politics. Super. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you're listening to the radio and, yeah. you know, what was it about Agron's speech that well, moved you? You know, at, at the time, this was 1991, we had essentially declared the Cold War to be over, right? Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union was in the midst of its sort of implosion. The Berlin Wall was coming down. And here we are going into a, a presidential campaign. And, and I, this presidential campaign was the one that was eventually won, won. by Bill Clinton. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So it goes back to George Bush was the incumbent president. Okay. Bill Clinton and eventually ended up winning, uh, beating him in the uh, in the general election. And that's Bush Senior. Yeah, Bush yeah, Senior, yeah. George uh, George Senior, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of discussion at that time about what is the U.S. who at that time and continues to have the largest military in the world to essentially combat the Soviet Union, the great threat that they were to the world as we saw it. What is going to happen with the U.S. military? What is our role? How is it going to change? 
we now, our greatest adversary is now essentially thrown in the towel and they're retrenching. Mm -hmm. the, the, the satellite, the Eastern European satellite countries were breaking away mm -hmm. and more and more ex asserting their independence. Ukraine was leaving mm -hmm. the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was going away. Mm -hmm. So we had now a configuration of states, Russia, mm -hmm. Ukraine, and a number of other states. And at the time that Larry gave the speech that I heard on the radio, he was talking about something called the peace dividend. We now no longer have to essentially, and that not that I could argue that we ever had to spend to the degree we did, but at least now there's no justification for spending half of the U.S. budget on the military. Mm. We can use that to begin infrastructure rebuilding. We can use that for a whole host of domestic issues that were very important. And he laid out this program in this speech, and I, I listened to, I'm going to say it was a half an hour long speech, it was something like that, and I agreed with everything he said. I couldn't find anything that I didn't think was spot on, yeah. and so when the speech was over, they announced who he was, and that he was the mayor of Irvine, and he was also part of this thing called the municipal foreign policy. He had sort of his own, he had created, while he was mayor of Irvine, through sister cities and outreach to other cities, this kind of network of people who were involved in creating a form of soft diplomacy mm. within the United States or a number of other uh, cities that were involved. And this just all sounded great. And here it is within the city of Irvine. And I'm, I'm 10 minutes away from this. Mm. So I called him. And at the time, he had an office over in Sky Park Circle. And so I got on the phone with him. And he couldn't have been nicer. He asked me what I had been doing. I was a, a computer engineer at the time in my, my job. And I, w I wasn't very happy with it. And he said, well, listen, I... I'm doing these things. Would you be interested in helping out? So, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Went over and met him at Sky Park. And from there, we just sort of clicked. We hit it off. It wasn't more than a week later, he started talking about why he might be going to New Hampshire. This was sort of, a, you know, in the next phase. Mm. And at the time, Larry had been heading up an exploratory committee for then <clears throat> Senator George McGovern, or former Senator, pardon me, George McGovern, who ran for president in 1972, who lost badly to Richard Nixon, but this was the Watergate election, if you will, mm. and had lost. And McGovern, because of this new issue of the peace dividend, was essentially throwing out feelers to see if he would be a viable candidate. And Larry had been heading up his exploratory committee. And Larry said to me, at the time, it looks like Senator McGovern will not be able to run. There was an illness in the family. There was some family issue that he felt compelled to essentially withdraw from consideration. And Larry said, look, I want to go there and I want to make the case for this issue of this peace dividend, this new American initiative, in, uh, uh, domestic initiative. As, yeah. as you're mentioning the peace dividend, I remember that. Was that a specific Agron issue or was it like a democratic party it was issue? a left it was a progressive left uh, idea okay i mean for so years he wasn't the only one right for years going back to we're just coming out of the reagan era when, when there was a significant buildup in the u.s military where, where it essentially it was during the reagan administration where the military budget went from a significant part of the budget to more than half of the budget and we were at that point we were outspending the rest of the world combined on our u.s military on our military and that we're including 
you know, the Veterans Administration and all this sort of Coast Guard and all these different iterations of our military might. And so this was, at the time, the progressives were calling, keep in mind, we're going back to the Great Peace March in the 80s, denuclearization, ramping back on our nuclear program. There was always a push going back into the 80s to rein in the amount of spending that was going on in the U.S. military. So when this, the Soviet Union collapsed, what is the excuse for to continue to, to spend this kind of money? Why? And so Larry said, look, I'm a mayor from Irvine. I mean, I mean, he wasn't delusional about his, his chances of winning. He said, but there's no one currently that's announced for president who's articulating this perspective. Bill Clinton was a centrist Democrat. We had Paul Songus, Doug Wilder, Bob Carey. These were all very central, centrist, pardon me, centrist Democrats. And no one was talking about this budget, right? What are we doing? Why are we going to do it? Yeah. So Larry said, I'm going to go. See if we can get in some debates, make my point, and hopefully we can push the agenda in that direction, and hence the idea to go. So he had put together enough money through his connections to the McGovern effort and felt like he could go and make a reasonable showing. If you joined us late, I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer of UCI Conversations. My guest today is Mike Kaspar, current KUCI DJ and press secretary for former Irvine Mayor Larry Agron's unsuccessful and unlikely 1992 presidential run, eventually won by Bill Clinton. Here we go with more. So this, these are, he's going to the primaries. This is before the this Democratic... The New Hampshire convention. is the first primary. Gotcha. So that's where you guys went first? Yes. Wow. So what was that like the first week or, you know, the right. getting started? What was that like? Right. Well, keep in mind, I just described to you someone who had lived at that time over almost 20 years on the coast, right? <laughs> 1974. I, I mean, Southern Cali- native uh, California and Southern California. And now I'm being asked to go to New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, yeah. in November okay. of 1991, essentially living there for the entire winter. Uh, wow. So, so just in. It's a, just, by the way, I just was there last year for, it, I just happened to be. Yeah. And um, it's a very cool place, you know, very East Coast, you know, yes. New England. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I would imagine it's really cold in uh, November. <laughs> <laughs> when the high temperatures for a number of days in a row are two to five degrees. That, and I'm not <laughs> kidding. I'm not wow. exaggerating. So Larry had secured a home that was on the coast directly across from the Portsmouth Main Naval Shipyard. Yeah, okay. We could see it from, yeah, from right, Mexico, right, from where right, we were. Right. And I couldn't was, see Russia, but I could see the Portsmouth. And it was still we operational, because I think there's been some things that have been cut back over okay, the years. Yeah, yeah anyway, I can yeah, imagine. Yeah. So, th- and that was... You know, to be perfectly honest, while the effort was there and the spirit was there, Larry, I think, kind of got talked into doing something that was a fundamental strategic mistake. Because all the action in New Hampshire takes place in the the capital, which is Manchester. And we were a good hour and a half to two-hour drive from there. So by headquartering there, we put ourselves a campaign that was already at a disadvantage. Name identification, money, support among named Democrats at a disadvantage. And I think we paid a significant price. I think, I don't know, do I think Larry could have won the nomination? No, I don't think so. But do I think that we could have had a greater impact had we been in the center of the action? I think so. So getting there, and set the, up camp. We and this does happen. Yeah. This is post-Jimmy uh, Carter, so certainly he yeah. came out of nowhere. Right. So there's a little right. bit more of a mentality of that. What's possible? Anything is possible. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh-huh. Exactly right. The Democratic Party does have a history of falling in love with, with the girl they just met. 
right? And I mean, Jimmy Carter is a good example of that. R- Republicans tend to be very hierarchical, right? It's your turn, right? Uh, and you look through the history going back to, it was Nixon's turn, he was the vice president, right? Uh, then it was Goldwater's turn, right? Because he, may, for whatever reason, I don't remember all the circumstances, but then Reagan, even Reagan ran challenging them. So you knew Reagan was eventually. So, I mean, it became kind of, it's your turn mm-hmm. in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic Party, we, we love that first that, that first love, the blush of first love. And we do we do yeah, tend yeah. to do that. So um, Was there anybody else headquartered in No. No. I mean we I mean right away that was a red flag. Uh, so one of the things And there's nothing you can do about it once you're staked. Well, there. I you know, we maybe yeah, you know, I mean, we, we had already, you know, but we had this house, and I'm sure there was a lease on the house, and we didn't have a lot of money, so right. you know, you kind of go with what you th- what you have, and we actually had a school bus. Okay, so I, okay, I by by the way, my role was as a press secretary. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I was there to essentially help Larry get known. Yeah. I'd never done anything like this in my life. Yeah. So this was this a, is what grassroots is. This you, is a terrifying yeah. moment for me because I'm realizing. That I'm in a, a stranger in a strange land. I've never done this before. Yeah. But you just dig in. You just do what yeah, you can. Yeah. Did you reach out to typically if I'm in over my head, I'll find mentor types or somebody who I can like check in with. You know, any suggestions on what I should do next? Or yeah. I don't know. Well, was well, Larry was well respected. He knew people in the Democratic Party. There okay. were people. I mean, and uh, there were that knew him, knew his the sort of quality. Larry is a, an exceptionally bright person. He was really smart and. I now having the sort of the the ability of hindsight looking back on what he did and what he was able to accomplish in in 9192 it's a very impressive thing that he did it's easy to dismiss we did the voting results from New Hampshire were kind of disastrous in terms of getting any kind of a profile but I watched Larry walk into a room and turn a whole room full of people who had no idea who he was none zero Irvine Caliber what is that Irvine Caliber you know right whatever right, that is right and turn a whole room full of people around in a matter of 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. Well-spoken, articulate. He spoke to people, you know, on the on a level that everyone could relate to. He really, to this day, is one of, if not the best public speaker I've ever seen in a setting like that. He is really, he was tremendous. Oh. And it was heartwarming to watch people feel that way that, yeah. that, that I did. when I, when I And it's the reason the speech that we go back to it was what inspired me. He was terrific. But we were up against, you know, not only kind of institutional resistance, they had a Democratic Party that was run by a crook. The the New Hampshire Democratic Party was run by a guy who was known for being involved. He eventually got in trouble with the law and sort of and also a system kind of entrenched entitlement. Like in New Hampshire, which is a small rural state with almost exclusively white population, that is vastly and completely unrepresentative of the rest of the country, being completely catered to for two or three years before the actual mm. primary. Mm. So the expectations were such that they it was a very different kind of political environment to walk into. These people were entitled. I, I don't know how else to say it, you know, uh-huh. would be, be polite. I mean, there were some great people that we met that were helpful, but most of it was they were looking for the show pony they were looking for the the front runner uh-huh, and uh-huh. they wanted to be so so it was a difficult environment for us to be in in, in that level 
You are listening to UCI Conversations and Mike Kaspar describe his 1992 experience as press secretary for Irvine Mayor Larry Agron's four-month run for the office of President of the United States. Did you identify, okay, this is who we're going after, or yeah. this is our competition? You know, what, what was the strategy? Did you have a strategy? The strategy was to get into the debates. Mm-hmm. That was the primary motive. That was it. That was our number one priority. And so that became increasingly difficult because in the course of this presidential campaign, they, the Democratic Party early on had a had a forum, which I wasn't at. It was before I went to New Hampshire, in which it was a pay-to-play, okay? Now, they asked Larry to pony up $25,000 to be in this forum, and the forum was all of the top dogs. It was the, the Clintons, the Carries, the Wilders, the Songas. They even had, I think, I'm not sure if Mario Cuomo showed up, but they, all the, the, the big dogs were there. And Larry was told that if he ponied up $25,000 that he would be in that realm. And he dug seals it. He felt like this was just BS. Wasn't going to do it. Did those guys put that money in? Well, they all did. And so by not doing that, but this is the the byproduct of it, by not doing that, by not being in that first tier, Mm -hmm. that first day of the the forum, Uh you know, being the kind of up there with all the rest of them, the national media, which is always looking for a way to winnow these races down, they don't like, the, 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 the tendency is to not want a lot of people running it because it's hard to cover everyone. Right, it's right. a matter of resources. It's a matter of attention span for their readers and for their uh, viewers. There's a whole lot of issues mm-hmm. that come into play. Mm-hmm. Now, and now Larry, so when the forum happened, Larry was the first of the second tier. And you get into, we, Billy Jack was running for president. You get a lot of people that sort of vanity project, people who have some notoriety. Or, and, and it was only, at that time, I think it was like $5,000, you could be on the ballot. Hmm. You had to get a, a, a hundred or a I can't remember how signatures. It was easy to get the signatures, and $5,000 got you on the ballot. So on that New Hampshire ballot, I think there were like 60, 50, 60 wow. candidates. Yeah. Wow. So, but for the purposes of being a, considered a legitimate candidate for president, you needed to be in that first tier. You needed to be in the first televised debate. And there's a station out there called WMUR. They're the big dog. They're the they're the news, the guys in Channel Five or Channel Nine or something. Do you're not cover the whole state. Yeah, they room? probably yeah. yeah. And also, there's a media market that gets Southern uh, New Hampshire, which is out of Massachusetts. So you want to go to to you want to be in those media markets. So we went right. down to Boston a couple times to be on shows, but but you want to be in. I, I yeah. think it's I'm, I'm pretty sure it's WMUR, whatever it was. It's the big one, and it was yeah. the first debate. Gotcha. And it was and it was and what was so galling about that experience, and it really set the tone and really cast our fate by not being in that first debate, was that we were told that they already have too many people. They have Songas, Wilder, Clinton, and Jerry Brown at the last minute decided to get into the race. He was kind of talking to our audience at that time. Had hurt us, but what really hurt us was not being included. And they said, well. We don't have enough space. It's just too many people now. But they were holding a chair for Mario Cuomo. They were literally holding an, they, an empty chair waiting for him to show up. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't include us. Mm-hmm. And again, I know this is all subjective. I understand all the, the ramifications. But it, nonetheless, we, we were legitimate. Mm-hmm. We had done all the things. We were, on a, we were on a number of ballots. One of the ways that you get, pres- at that time, you get matching funds. If you 
raise a certain amount of money. You have to do it in 20 states. You have to get a certain amount mm-hmm. of money. We, met, we we were eligible for federal matching funds. We did that. Mm-hmm. We did all of the things. Every time we met a criteria that they said, well, you don't have federal matching funds. Yes, we do. They kept moving the goalposts. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, yeah, and again, I think some of it was, who is Larry Agron? I'm not dismissing the fact that he's an unknown. But at the same time, it was also a lot of structural and also, in some ways, corrupt influences in, in, in this project. So that in, in that those moments leading up to that first debate in early January were really what set us on a certain path. Did you end up spending all your time in New Hampshire, or did you go on from there? I went to Maine. They had a caucus up there in Maine ah. after the New Hampshire primary. Within a couple of days, it's, that's on a Tuesday. I think Saturday they have caucuses in Maine. Oh, yeah. uh, I went up there and spoke. Gotcha. And, 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 and by the way, that was where I met Hillary Clinton and Paul Songus's wife. We were we were essentially shadowing each other through these three different events that I spoke at on mm. Larry's behalf. Larry, Larry took off for North uh, North Dakota. There was a debate that he was included in a televised mm. PBS debate that he was in. He got into about three or four significant debates, and by everyone's account, he did at least as well as everyone else. But again, these were not nationally broadcast. They didn't mm. have the same cachet, and that's really what kind of sort of separated Larry from the pack of being at least considered a viable or legitimate candidate. He was always legitimate. I don't that's the wrong word, but a viable right, candidate. Right, for, right, for, right, right. So well, you know, we don't have I know, very sorry, much time. It goes so fast. Was there any moments during, you know, any you know, a high point in in those was it was did you say it was four three or four months or Yeah, it was there four months yeah. in, in New Hampshire. But I stayed on the campaign and we went to New York a couple of t- we went back to New York for the New York primary, which was in I think March or April, I think it was in April. And we went back there because we were on the ballot. We had oh. qualified. And the New York ballot was exceedingly difficult to qualify for. You had to register people in the borough. You had to per- the person doing the, the getting the, uh, your signature site had to be from the borough. Byzantine system, very crazy stuff. And we were able to qualify there. And wow. there were, at this time, by this time, there were only three candidates still running, quote, officially uh, running. Everyone else was, they, they, they called, their, their campaigns were dormant. Right, mm-hmm. they were they they were they had so it was Songus, Clinton, and us. Those were the three. You are listening to KUCI's Mike Kaspar recall his 1992 position as press secretary for Irvine Mayor Larry Agron's run for president. So Larry showed up. This is I don't know if this is a high point or a low point. It mm-hmm. was a it was a point though. <laughs> we were Larry. It was at the uh, Bronx College. No, well, I forgot the name of the college, but it was in the Bronx. It was a debate televised on, on a major New York uh, TV station with a moderator that everybody knew. I can't think of his name right now. And Larry was not invited. And we made, this is, the focus was, we're on the ballot. We're only one of three. You put us on, right? Yeah. So Jerry Brown, Bill Clinton are on stage. I, I know I said Paul Saugus. He was still officially, unofficially, officially still on the ballot. But Jerry Brown was the one. That, so they had Clinton and Brown on the stage. The only two candidates left. And Larry... Wanted, said I, I deserve to be so we made all of the proper you know went through all the channels and he wasn't so Larry got into the into the auditorium and as the debate was beginning Larry stood up and said my name is Larry Agron I am on the ballot in New York for, pre- for the presidential ballot here in New York and I deserve to be heard and at that point three or four by his account plainclothes security guys and police turned out to be police Descended upon him, pulled him out of his, <clears throat> where he was standing in front of his seat, <clears throat> dragged him down 
headfirst down two or three flights of stairs and arrested him for disturbing the peace for, there were two other charges, that he was arrested and put in jail. We, I went over to the precinct where he was being held, yeah. and they, t- they detained him until at least an hour after the debate was over. It was only after a call from Mayor David Dinkins that he was eventually let out. He was charged and forced to go to downtown Bronx courthouse to answer for these charges. All right? He went down there. He had his attorney with him. By the way, Senator Paul Wellstone showed up as, uh, to show his support for Larry. Good, good man, Paul. Uh-huh. And the state of New York was proceeding with these three misdemeanor charges uh-huh. to the point where they stayed the trial for this until the week of the Democratic Convention. Uh-huh. So Larry had this four, three or four month period where he was dealing with these charges. They, th- this was the weirdest part. This was, I don't know. I'm not, this is just weird, yeah. right? I mean, I, 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 with all due respect to the people of New York, they commit three or four misdemeanors on their way to work every day, right? <laughs> so, I mean, here was a guy on the ballot. Right, right, It right. became something that he was being punished for, for, for standing up for himself. It really did become that. So there's there's so much more to the campaign. But, right. but that was, for me, sort of a, a, an up-close-and-personal account of what it is to run for president. They didn't know what to do with Larry. Larry wasn't a nut. He was obviously mm. a rational, mm. you know, voice in this. Mm. He deserved to be heard, but he didn't have the cachet the other ones did. So he's in this gray area right. that to this day, the elect, the, the, the people who are essentially in charge of deciding who will be president, and I'm talking about the parties, and I'm talking about the media, I'm talking about all this infrastructure mm. that goes into it, don't know what to do with. Mm. Right? We mm. still haven't figured mm. that out. Mm. Our American democracy is managed. And, and Larry is a glaring example hmm. of how it's mismanaged wow. as well. Yeah. And the last thing, just yeah. one, one, yeah, hi- yeah. one last highlight, yeah, yeah. which is I did get a chance, and this is another whole long story, which I don't have time for. Yeah. I got to spend four hours, three or four hours in a hotel room with Gene McCarthy. Huh? Clean Gene from 1968. Yeah. He was, he, he threw A very his, big uh, political player at the time, and a lot of college students were being College students. Yeah. He was anti-war, Vietnam mm-hmm. War. Had, that was his calling card. He gained a lot of support. He really pushed Lyndon Johnson, the sitting president, right out of the race mm-hmm. based on his showing in New Hampshire mm-hmm. in 1968. And that caused Bobby Kennedy to jump in the race as well. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was a tremendous, he had a tremendous impact. But this is many, many years later. And, but McCarthy decided he wanted to show up at a couple of forums, and he was invited to a health care forum in Nashua, New Hampshire. And he was there, and I was sort of me, and he and, uh, and Larry and his guy ran off to do some political strategizing, and, and I ended up sitting in a hotel room talking with Gene McCarthy for three hours. Well, that, that you mean, know, Mike, I, we'll have to talk about that sometime. Yeah, I know it's future. another whole yeah, story. We're, we're running out of time I know. here. I'm sorry. Just, just very quickly, did you foresee that Bill Clinton would be the guy and would go on? Uh, you know what? Yes, and I'll tell you why. This is another example of what I'm talking about. This sort of in this sort of managing of our expectations for president. The whole thing with Jennifer Flowers had come out prior to the New Hampshire primary election. It was in late December, early January, was everywhere, everywhere. And and this is the most glaring example that I can think of right now as to how our that election was managed, not for Bill Clinton, but just managed. He had a slot. It was the big Hillary and Bill interview that was scheduled for 60 minutes after the Super Bowl. So he had the Super Bowl 
and they had the big 60-minute show. Wow. And that was the show that Bill Clinton got to go on to spend, I think, at least the whole, maybe the whole show, to be interviewed where he denied all of these charges, which were true. He was having an affair with Jennifer Flowers. All the stuff they were saying was true. But he and Hillary went on that show to essentially obfuscate, shall we say, all of that stuff gave him a huge platform. And also that week he was on the cover of Time magazine. I'm not saying he wasn't a newsmaker, but Time magazine, 60 minutes after the Super Bowl, in the three weeks before the run-up to the primary election in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. is, in my mind, engineering something to happen. Wow. So leave it at that. Mike, thanks so much for giving us this insight that is truly remarkable and amazing. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much.